Hello, everybody, and welcome to a thrilling episode of Views on View. I am Steve Edwards, the host with the face for radio and the voice for being a mime, but I'm still your host. Today, I am flying solo again, and I have a special guest with me. His name is Lane Wagner. How are you doing, Lane? Doing great. Thanks for having me. So as a little bit of background, I also am a panelist on the other top end of podcast, JavaScript Jabber, and we recently had Lane on to talk about a number of things that had some crossover to View 3. And so I thought this would be perfect for Views on View, seeing View 3 and View and how that all nicely fits together. So let's talk about some of that great stuff here too. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood. I've been talking to a whole bunch of people that want to update their resume and find a better job. And I figure, well, why not just share my resume? So you, if you go to topendevs.com slash resume, enter your name and email address, then you'll get a copy of the resume that I use, that I've used through freelancing, through m- most of my career, as I've kind of refined it and tweaked it to get me the jobs that I want. Uh, like I said, topendevs.com slash resume will get you that. And uh, you can just kind of use the formatting. It comes in Word and Pages formats, and you can just fill it in from there. So before we get started, Elaine, why don't you tell us who you are, what you do, why you're famous, and a little just your background. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Lane Wagner. I am the founder of Boot.dev. As of just a couple months ago, I've gone full-time on Boot.dev. It's a e-learning platform for back-end development in Python, JavaScript, and Go. It's been a side project for a couple of years. I've recently just started focusing on it full time, like I mentioned. And our front end is written in Vue 3 now. We recently did a migration from Vue 2. And so I have a lot of opinions on on the Vue subject. So what's your... I'm always a geek into the details. So what's the full stack for boot.dev? I think we talked about Go yesterday. So is Go on the back end with Vue 3? Yeah. Yeah, there's a couple moving parts. So we use Hugo to build the static site for our blog. So our blog actually gets quite a bit of traffic. It's basically where most of our students come from. So that's a static site. Uh, Hugo's a a Go kind of compiler for for static sites. The front end of the application itself, so instead of not not blog.boot.dev, but boot.dev proper, is a single page app written in Vue 3. We're not using any frameworks like SSR frameworks at the moment, like Nuxt or anything, though we may end up moving that way at some point. So it's just deployed on Netlify as a single bundle. And then it reaches out asynchronously via fetch requests to our backend, which is hosted on Kubernetes. It is a Go REST API that is backed by a Postgres database on GCP. So if you're not using SSR, how do you handle SEO concerns? Is is it good enough as it is for JavaScript frameworks? You'd use Netlify's pre-rendering service? We do use Netlify's pre-rendering service, which works okay. I do think we would get some benefits by going the SSR route, which is why we were thinking that, that's like really the only reason we're considering at some point moving to a Nuxt or something like that. Right. But to be perfectly honest, our our app, like boot.dev proper, at the moment, I'm not super concerned about ranking it. I mean, it would be nice, but uh, the blog is is kind of what what ranks and, and drives a lot of inbound traffic. So that'll probably be a project for 2023. So curious as to your choice of Hugo versus Nuxt, maybe or, uh, or maybe some of the other frameworks out there. Is it just because it's been old and around and solid as a rock and something you're familiar with? Or uh, what was your logic there? 
Good question. So I started on WordPress about three years ago when I started blogging, just for the simplicity of of the whole thing. It was nice having a CMS. I moved us to Hugo when we rebranded to BootDev. So we weren't originally... The the blog used to be called QVault. And when we kind of released the product, which was the courses, we decided to find a more fitting name. So at the same time that we rebranded the site, I re-architected it because I'd been reading a lot about static sites Obviously, they're very, very fast. Um, They're not very complex. A lot of things get, when you're a developer, a lot of things actually get much easier moving away from a CMS. Because, for example, now when I want to make updates to all my blog posts, they're all just plain text markdown files that I can, you know, grep through or, or do whatever I want. Whereas when I was on WordPress, it would be fairly complex SQL queries dealing with kind of the inner workings of WordPress. So, um, that's been really, really nice. But the reason I chose Hugo um, over, say, Jekyll or Gatsby or one of the kind of equivalent static site generators is that it's very, very fast, much, much faster in terms of building and hot module reloading. And it's written in Go. <laughs> and I'm uh, Go is my primary language. So oh, that familiarity. was Hugo, right? So yeah. yeah. From, right. And then one last question before we get into our topic of the day. Have you ever seen the movie Better Off Dead? Oh, yeah. Uh, John Cusack. Yes, right? a cult classic. Love it. Have it on DVD. <laughs> In fact, I have some younger friends that I occasionally enlighten on that movie because they've never seen it. And it always blows my mind that people haven't seen it. But anyway, so all that saying, you know, the, the main character's the name there, of course, is Lane Meyer. So when I hear Lane, yes. that's always the first thing I think of. <laughs> that's a great one. Also, One Crazy Summer. If yes. you haven't seen that, you should. Oh, of course. That's awesome. A very, very young Demi Moore or Demi Moore, however she says it. The classic stand up, one of the ultimate stand up comedians, Bobcat Goldthwait, you know, with his very unique style. And uh, of course, John Cusack. <laughs> the interesting thing here, though, and we're going to go down this rabbit hole a little bit, is John Cusack, when he first saw Better Off Dead, hated it. And to this day, we'll have nothing to do with that movie. They'll have get togethers with, with all the cast, you know, Booger from. Uh, from Revenge of the Nerds, uh, Curtis DeMar is his name in the movie, and I forget his real name. And Diane, I forget her name, that, that played the French girl. And everybody, but everybody but him will get together, and he hated it. And when he, for whatever reason, when he first saw it, he was like, oh, this is a piece of crap. I don't like it. It's awful. Yeah, he won't have anything to do with it. And he had to do One Crazy Summer, which was the next one they did, because he had already signed a contract with Savage Steve Paul and the director. So that's the only reason he did it. But uh, yeah, One Crazy Summer. That like, breaks my heart a little bit, actually. To oh, I know. Story. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so disappointing. It just breaks my heart. But yeah, Cusack's sort of gone off the deep end in the last few years, at least from what I've seen. He's got so many good movies from back then, you know, Gross Point Blank and, and stuff. But yeah. And then what's what's even more interesting is, you know, the Camaro. Do you remember the, the black Camaro, you know, that he picks his up? I, yeah, yeah. So there used to be a website that I found a long time ago. I don't think it's still around. It was called Better Off Dead Camaro. And it was all about that car. And it had the information on shooting locations and stuff. And apparently after the movie, they had just let it go somewhere and dumped it somewhere. And some fan of the movie found it and restored it to its former glory. And he's got it. Last I saw, he lives in Durango, Colorado. And I have a friend who lives there. And... And she said, yeah, I think I've seen that car around like at uh, car shows or something like that. That's uh, awesome. But it's sort of funny. Yeah, I love that movie. has got more good one-liners. You know, I, I once built a birdhouse in Woodshop and it was condemned by the Fair Housing Committee. And, 
You know, I have two shirts. I have one that my kids have given me that says, I want my $2 and shows the newspaper boy. And then the other <laughs> one says, you know, the K-12, go that way really fast. If something gets in your way, turn, you know, like, so anyway, so, all so that good. because yeah. of your first name, you should feel really honored that your name triggers such great memories. <laughs> yes, I, I feel great. <laughs> so on to the topic of the day. So the topic that we had initially discussed was regarding view three and functional programming and whether or not the composition API truly is functional programming. And we were comparing it to React hooks. I know that came into the, the discussion as well. So since this is your baby, I'll let you talk on background and, and your thoughts on that and we can go from there. Yeah, sounds great. So I'll kind of recap um actually the discussion yesterday on, on JavaScript driver was was great and now has got me thinking even more things. But the premise goes something like this. Uh, I don't think that the that, you know, Evan Yu and the maintainers of Vue have necessarily made any claims that I, that I think are incorrect about functional programming. Um, but the composition API, I think, um, and the way the community has talked about it, and maybe this is just bleed over from from React hooks, because the two the composition API and React hooks get compared a lot, because they're quite similar in terms of moving away from class components. The word functional programming is thrown around quite a bit when talking about the composition API. And I think that's a problem because I don't think the composition API is very functional at all. Um, the, if you look at the setup function, for example, in many components, in many stateful components, the setup function doesn't take parameters, right? Yet every time the stuff in the setup function is happening, values are changing, right? Uh, the things that the setup function returns that are being exposed to the template change as state updates internally, which is like the complete antithesis of functional programming. The whole idea behind functional programming, I would argue the biggest idea behind functional programming is that you compose pure functions where every time they're called, assume they've been assuming they've been given the same inputs, you get the same outputs. And I love functional programming to the extent that it's possible to use it because it makes really, really easy code to test. So pure functions are notoriously uh, easy to write unit tests for. You never have to mock anything. You never have to inject dependencies. It can be, just be really, really a straightforward suite of tests. So that's kind of the, I guess that's how I would explain the, the kind of the overhead of the, of the problem. Okay, so as you've been saying, it's not the view creators that have claimed this to just support the view community and saying, hey, this is really functional. So why is that a problem? Yeah, I think it's a problem of terms. You know, the way we talk about things, like development and programming is a huge, huge field, huge industry. And the term functional programming has always had this definition that I think most of us have agreed on. It's, it's what powers uh, functional languages like Haskell, OCaml, F-sharp. And it's something you learn in a CS degree. You learn what functional programming is, why it's important. And I teach it to newer developers on boot dev because I think it it can, when used properly as a tool in your tool belt, result in, in much better software. Even though I've never worked professionally in a purely functional language, I've always encouraged my team to write pure functions as often as possible. Again, mostly for testing purposes. So I just want to make like it's the fact that like the composition API isn't like functional isn't necessarily a problem in and of itself. I just wish we had a better word to describe what we're talking about. So for example, I, I like the composition API more than I liked uh, the class-based API. Like I do think it was an upgrade. 
And I'm happy that we moved away from classes. That's the options API? Or I think yes, sorry. Yeah, that's the that's the name. So I'm happy that we uh, that we moved to the composition API. But just because the composition API is based on functions, specifically the setup function, right? I don't think that that's a good enough reason to start using the term functional programming. I think we're conflating some words there. That, that honestly, the, the big problem is just one of confusion. I think we're confusing ourselves, and, and more particularly, we're we're confusing newer developers that are entering the space. Okay, so if it's not appropriately being named or labeled, as you say. How would you appropriately name or label what it is? Composition API is a great, a great name, and I would just describe it that way. Um, the the post on I think it was I think it was put out by Evan Yu, like on UJS.org, uh, that describes the benefits of the Composition API. Spot on, right? It's all about composition. In fact, I think that the name Composition API is better than the name that React used with React hooks because it more appropriately describes the benefit in terms of, you know, now instead of having one mounted uh, lifecycle hook as a method on an object, we were able to use the on-mounted function as many times as we want so that we can compose our logic around the kind of the business logic of our application rather than around the specific lifecycle hooks. So I think that's a great way to talk about it. But things like custom hooks, or sorry, it's not that's that's the React term. What do we call them? Custom composables in Vue? Uh, where composables, we, we, right. Yeah, kind of the custom composable functions that we would like start with the word use, right? Not, they're not, they're not functional. Again, they're functions, which is great. That's totally fine. But it's, it's not really a step towards, towards functional programming. And I encourage as much functional programming as we can get within view. So I do think that we should be writing in our view code, many more pure functions, placing them outside of the scope of the object that we're exporting in our view files and 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 just using that pure logic as much as we can. Again, kind of the main reason being it's it's easier to test, it's easier to understand if uh, functions aren't staring, sharing state between themselves. Hey there, this is Charles Maxwood. I'm excited because I wanted to let you know about this thing that I pulled together that I had just, I've been dying to have this for years and I never felt like I could. And then I just realized that there's no reason why I can't. So um, I'm putting together a book club and we're going to read development focused books, career books, you know, uh, technical books, whatever. The first book that we're going to do is going to be Clean Architecture by Uncle Bob Martin. If you're not familiar with Clean Code or some of the other stuff that Bob has done, check that out. I've also talked to him on the Clean Coders podcast, which is on Top End Devs. But uh, yeah, we're going to get on. He's going to show up to some of our meetings. And what I'm thinking is we'll probably have like five or six people uh, part of the conversation along with Bob and I at the same time. And we'll just, uh, so somebody can come on, they can ask their question and then we'll just ro- rotate people through. So we'll we'll mute one person, unmute another person when it's their turn to come on and, and be part of the discussion. So we'll do that for like an hour, hour and a half. And then the other part of it that I'm putting together is just kind of a meet and greet gather area on Gather Town. And so after the the meetup and the call, what we'll do is we'll all go over to Gather Town and you can just log in, walk up to a group and have a conversation. And that way we can all kind of get to know each other and and make friends and, and get to know people across the world. Uh, one thing that I'm finding is that, yeah, the meetups are starting to come back, but a lot of people don't have the opportunity to go to a meetup. And I really want to meet you guys and talk to you. So we're going to put all that together. It'll all be part of that book club. You can go to topendevs.com slash book club to be part of it. And I'm looking forward to seeing you there. The first book club meeting will be 
in December, the beginning of December, we're starting the first week of December. And um, you'll also be part of the conversation about which book we do next. I have one in mind, but I want to see where everybody's at. So there you go. Okay, so let's go back a little bit here. You mentioned that the, I think if I understood you correctly, that in Vue 3, the Vue version of a functional program would be com- composables. Did I understand that correct? No, the opposite. Sorry. Oh, the opposite. So, okay, that makes sense because if you look at the definition of composable, it actually handles stateful logic, which means that the inputs and outputs are going to vary every time you call it based on what's in state. Right. Which makes it yes. non-functional. Exactly. Like the, this is this is has always been my big gripe with when people in the community to refer to composition API or, or React hooks as functional is that the, the main thing, right? Custom composable functions use in, in React's version is use state and in view, we have things like, you know, use store or whatever. These these functions are the farthest thing you could get from functional programming. There's objects and methods that are more functional than this. <laughs> okay, so now we've addressed functional programming in Vue 3. You've mentioned before that uh, you've done migrations from Vue 2 to Vue 3, which I think the attempt to make that migration easier has has been made in particular with a version release of 2.7, which has a backport of uh, not everything from the Composition API, but at least important parts of it. So I'm guessing that was a fairly recent, I think. So I'm guessing you did your migration before that that was in place. So as someone who's gone through the pain of upgrading, and it's not a small undertaking, what, uh, what was your experience migrating from U2 to V3? Yeah, I have a lot of things to say, both good and bad. <laughs> so obviously, in hindsight now, I migrated too early. I should have waited for 2.7, probably. I had We had to do a lot of things kind of all at once because there wasn't this like slower upgrade path. I think the, the specifically with 2.7, isn't it that they've kind of backported a lot of the composition functions into Vue 2 so that you can upgrade more more slowly? Yeah, I mean, I, the way I see it, someone who's gone through migrations before is that, you know, in completely different frameworks, but migration is still migration, you know, either way, is that what this allows you to do is implement composition API methods and functionalities in Vue 2 in your existing code base so that when you do actually do, you know, NPN update Vue 3 or, you know, whatever you do to then you have much less to deal with from a migration standpoint, which I think is a great idea. And yeah. I know, you know, Vue 3 was written so that you could still write Vue 2 code. You could still use the options API in, right. in Vue 3, but either way, you still got to refactor your methods if you're going to use everything that's in Vue 3. Yeah, the big pain for me was the uh, was dependencies. So we did, obviously, when we upgraded to Vue 3, we did not immediately, re- like we didn't rewrite all of our uh, options API components into Composition API before upgrading because Vue 3 is backwards compatible in that way. But we did uh, have a lot of issues with some dependencies because a lot of dependencies, in fact, when we upgraded, I, I definitely think that like looking back, I did it a little too quickly. Um, a lot of dependencies didn't support Vue 3. So we either had to rewrite them ourselves or try to find Vue 3 alternatives. So that that was a bit of a pain, um, but that's pretty classic migration stuff. Yeah, um, for sure. I mean, you mentioned WordPress. I came from the Drupal world and watching the migration from 6 to 7, 7 to 8 was huge just because of a complete gut and a rewrite of the internals. And so, okay, Core's done great, but how many other things do we depend on in the ecosystem that have to be upgraded? You know, from a front-end framework, from a front-end system, they're just now getting caught up. Uh, as of this writing, for instance, Beautify 3.0 just came out this week, first part of November. And I know another big one is is Bootstrap View. 
you know, and that's still being worked on too. And so that's holding up some people from from being able to to upgrade. So yeah, the the surrounding ecosystem is huge when you do a major upgrade like that. Yeah, I so th- this is where we get to like my first gripe, I guess, is we spend a lot of time and resources upgrading to Vue three. Um, obviously, that doesn't actually. <laughs> Like that almost in no way provides business value to boot dev, right? Uh, we're just trying to keep our technology up to date. No users of boot dev were super excited to hear that we were uh, on Vue 3. But the bigger concern I had was, you know, we spent all this time upgrading. And now I have a I have a concern about fracturing in the, this is actually a concern in Vue and React, but a fracturing of, of the possible ways in which you can accomplish something. One of the things I really like about the Zen of Python, that that pithy poem, is ideally there should be one way to do a thing, and that way should be good. It doesn't necessarily need to be the best way, but it needs to be a good way, and there should really only be one um, because it gets really confusing. Um, and I think I think needlessly kind of confusing when there's many different ways to accomplish the same thing. So, like from that perspective, I really don't like that we now have an options API and a composition API that are drastically different in terms of the way the code looks and you know how many things you have to understand. So now new view developers being onboarded, they don't have to just learn one thing. They have to almost like learn twice as much. Because almost any project they enter could have both composition API components and options API components. So like the scope of things you needed to learn to be productive in Vue is now much larger. So is that worth the trade-off? I'm not necessarily convinced that it is. Like I said, I do like the composition API. I do like it better, but I don't know if I like it enough. If I like it enough more, enough better, that's like a really weird way to say things, to warrant that, that scope creep of the framework. And, and now there's like a third way, which is like not nearly as, as big of a difference, but you can write the script setup uh, syntax, which is again, just like slightly different from writing a, a giant setup function. Again, it's better. I like it. But now there's three ways to write your component. And I find that needlessly confusing. Not being a maintainer of you myself, I understand that I'm coming from a place of ignorance. So forgive me for this. But I really would have like in, in my head, it makes it would have made a lot of sense to release a new framework and just call it a new framework and do it a different way. Maybe that's impossible for for other reasons. But you think the changes were big enough between new and three that it's almost a completely different framework? I I don't know, <laughs> but what I do know is I don't like the so backwards compatibility with the options API. I understand that it's being offered as a feature. And and I think a lot of people will see that as, as a great thing. I don't like I, I wish I wish there weren't multiple acceptable, like undeprecated ways to do things. I think that there should be basically one way to do things. And and maybe that means just a maybe up major upgrade, maybe it means a whole new framework. But I, I guess I'm just complaining about the current state of affairs and I'm not very useful because I don't uh, I don't necessarily have a solution to it. Yeah, it's a it's a sticky wicket for sure, to use a British phrase. I think that's maybe it's Australian. <laughs> I'm not sure. But either way, yeah, I mean that's a that's a tough balancing act from a from a framework standpoint. I think what's gonna happen and what I've seen happen, you know, around the open source community, or I'd be willing to bet, is as they go along, then that older stuff will be removed, you know, as people have had time to to adjust to the new way of doing things, because otherwise, you know, obviously, you end up with a very bloated code because you got you got to maintain everything going forward. That's my guess. You know, I don't speak out of any inside knowledge or anything. That's my hope. I guess now, now I do have something concrete to complain about. That's my hope: is that it's like okay, we have a five-year transition plan, 
in which case I'd be much more comfortable with this, like, we'll keep it view, right? We'll keep it view three. There's like a five-year plan to deprecate the options API. But I wish that that was more transparent because right now, both React and Vue, as far as I can tell from reading the, the official docs, have claimed that there is no plan to deprecate options or class-based APIs and that they will be, they're, they're just as, they're just as uh, supported as like the newer stuff, which to me seems wrong. Like the whole reason for this new stuff was to replace the old stuff. So I feel like we should at the very least encourage people to be moving, albeit maybe, you know, slowly and responsibly. Okay, so other than that, gripes, what other issues? I think you mentioned before you had some good and bad. So what was your migration experience like? Maybe, for instance, did you go from Webpack to Beat or other, yeah. other parts of the of the upgrade? I can't remember if we went to Webpack, from Webpack to Beat, Webpack to Beat before or after migrating to Vue 3. I know it was around the same time. Uh, I have nothing but good things to say about Vite. It's just been so much better. <laughs> so Webpack was slow. That was a huge problem. I mean, the boot dev uh, code base at that time wasn't huge, but it would take like a good 10 or 12 seconds to start up. And then hot module reloading would take like a second or two. And now with Vite, startup is instant, like like sub one second and hot module reloading is like measured in milliseconds, which is just like our, our productivity has gone way up. But that's only part of it. People always talk about the speed. That's that's great. But actually, the thing I like even more about Vite is how non-configurable it is. <laughs> like, you'll hear this if you if you talk to me a lot, you'll you'll uh, hear this pattern. I hate diving through endless options and different ways of doing things. Like, I just want some sane defaults that work out of the box. And that was probably my favorite thing about moving from Webpack to Vite was instead of just having this nasty Webpack configuration, it, it pretty much works with a, a very basic kind of Vite config file. I think the term there is opinionated. Love it. I love opinionated. Uh, that's how you can tell I'm a Go developer. Is Go is very opinionated in the way uh, like the environment works and everything. So, yeah, The other framework that comes to mind is Ember. I haven't worked with it, but in any discussions I've heard about it, Ember is very highly opinionated in terms of, I mean, everything, like your, your folder structure and this goes here and that goes there. So, you know, there's not a lot of, of wiggle room. Uh, and for, for you know, as someone who's multiple times had to learn new tools and new frameworks, having something opinionated when you're first learning is awesome because you're like, okay, I don't have to worry about figure that. I just do this and do this and it works and I can go code my app. And then as you, you know, maybe as you go along and get more experienced and, and know what's going on, then you like something that's, you know, gives you a little more flexibility to do things the way you like to do it. Yeah. I mean, so at Boot Dev, we teach several different programming languages, right? JavaScript, Python, Go. And I think a lot of times when, when someone spends a lot of time in one programming language and then moves to another one, I think that very often a kind of a trap is uh, that people fall into is taking all of the things that you're used to from your old programming language and trying to shove them into the new programming language, right? Where you, like, usually that's not the way to do it. Sometimes, sometimes truly the old programming language you're coming from had some great ideas that maybe should exist more in, in the new one. But I think very often it's it's actually the case that the new programming language works in a different way and is good for different things and you should figure out what those things are. And I forgot where I was going with this, but the, I like, I'm used to the opinionated way of doing things. And I just wish every every uh, ecosystem I was in was opinionated in the way that, that made sense for it to be. Vue has a very specific use case. So I feel like it should be able to be opinionated about that, about that use case. 
Okay, so we got Vue 3, we got Beat, Migrate. So out of curiosity, when you went from Vue 2 to Vue 3 on your application, what were you using for a front-end structure? You know, your CSS and your forms and all that stuff, using a framework like Beautify or Bootstrap or just plain vanilla CSS, maybe some SCSS? It's a good question. We were on a CSS at first, and I actually ended up moving to Tailwind, which if you're not familiar with Tailwind... First of all, I highly recommend it, especially for smaller projects. But I think Tailwind often gets uh, misappropriately compared to like Bootstrap or Beautify. And there's a very key difference in that Bootstrap and Beautify have opinions about styling, right? They come with same defaults. Tailwind does not. Tailwind is not a styling library. It doesn't come with like, you know, it won't make your app pretty out of the box. It's the way I think of Tailwind and the way I use it is actually just a way to write cleaner CSS. Um, and, and a way to write CSS a little faster that encourages kind of good good CSS practices. So that's why I use it. I don't think it was a, a part of like our upgrade to Vue 3. I want to say we switched to Tailwind actually, maybe even before we we upgraded to Vue 3. At Tailwind, I mean, it, it has some predefined stuff in terms of, for instance, its color palette. You know, there's a number of things that have to be defined as breakpoint sizes, that kind of stuff. But you can override those, you know, if you want to. You can add your own custom colors and make them available CS classes, CSS classes, which is pretty slick. And then they also have the add-ons of hero icons and what's the other component library? I can't believe I can't sure. remember off the top of my head. I customized everything right out of the box. To me, the selling point was the utility classes, right? Mm-hmm. Like instead of, uh, you know, with, with Bootstrap, you have like a button class or whatever that like kind of bundles everything into like one class. It's like, no, I just have like, it's like the way you would have written the CSS anyway, but it's just like same names for the classes, right? Like P1, P2 for paddings and things like that. So uh, you're right. They do have some some defaults that you can use. I actually never even used them. So I kind of forgot that it had them. I immediately like put my branding colors in there and, and all that stuff. So cool. Any other maybe little details about your upgrade? Oh, yeah. Let me whine about Vue 3 for a second. <laughs> so even back though, in mode. yeah, we're back to complaining. Um, so like I said, I do think Vue 3 is, uh, the composition API is an upgrade, generally speaking. Uh, but that doesn't mean it's not worse in some ways than the options API. My big complaint, my biggest complaint when moving from Vue 2 to Vue 3 is the dot value syntax that gets really cumbersome and, and, and in my opinion, cluttery throughout the code. So in Vue 2, you know, everything was on the class object. So you, like for your state and for your computed properties, for everything, you'd just be doing this dot, kind of the name of the property all throughout your code. In Vue 3, whenever you're dealing with a ref, like a computed property, for example, uh, the way you unpack that value in your setup function is by using the dot value property on that on that variable, which is like immediately just also a little confusing because in the template, you don't have to do that. The template automatically unwraps refs. The setup function does not. So like that's inconsistent to me and, and just feels weird. And I'm sure there's like a billion technical reasons that the maintainers had for doing it the way they did. But as a user, I'm just I'm just whining as, as a user. It's uh, that's like been one of my biggest gripes. And to go along with that, one of the most confusing things was moving from view two, we just lazily took our state object and wrapped it in a reactive, the reactive function from the composition API that makes it, you know, reactive. And when you do that, when you access and change the state variables, you don't use dot value as like a getter. But again, you do for a computed property. And really early on in the ecosystem, when we were using Vter, for example, it didn't even get mad at us 
if we didn't add that dot value to the to the properties that we need or to the the computed like refs that we needed to add it to. So we had tons of bugs in our code where it was just like painstakingly going through the component and trying to figure out which properties or, or sorry, which variables needed that dot value accessor and which ones didn't. That was painful. That was probably the single most painful thing about about Vue 3. And it's better now with Volar, the new VS Code uh, plugin, but uh, the, the code is still fairly verbose. Cool. Or maybe not so cool, I guess. That's sort of my <laughs> jump in word there. All right, cool, man. Yeah, yeah, I've messed in the little that I have messed around with with Vue 3 and the setup function. That value thing was a, something I kept bumping my head up against and had to be reminded. Have dot value to access your method there. Yeah, it get, like I said, it was really painful in the migration. Writing new components, it's not so bad. You kind of get used to it. And Volar is the new... So Evan Yu, I guess, has come out and kind of officially deprecated Vtor as the recommended Vue plugin for VS Code. And, and now Volar is the new one. Um, it is kind of cool in that it actually auto-completes the dot value for you. If it detects that you're using a ref, it'll just throw that kind of onto the end. Um, it's actually thrown me off because I'll just start typing dot value and then I have I have two dot values. <laughs> That's a problem. But <laughs> but yeah, I would recommend using that uh, plugin if you're in if you're in uh, if you're in VS Code. I think. Well, yeah, I don't know. Again, I wish I wish I understand stood the internals a little better. I wish I had time to understand the internals a little better so I could understand that decision because right. it does seem to be fairly painful. And, and I know that in React you don't have that, but the way React hooks work and the way Composition API works are fairly different. So okay, so before we move on to picks, anything else you wanted to cover that I'm not thinking of? I think we've been fairly exhaustive. Hopefully yeah, no, this has been <laughs> this has been fun. It's glad to air my or it's good to good to air my complaints. And I'm sure, well, I don't know if there's a comment section anywhere this is posted, but I'm sure I'll be ripped apart in comments somewhere. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe on Twitter or something like that. Oh my gosh. You can right. at me at me on Twitter if you have, have complaints or can point out why I'm wrong. I'd actually love to be told why I'm wrong so that I can do it better. But right. Okay. Well, that's been a good discussion. Like I said, it's so good. We did it on two, count them, two podcasts. Have you ever wished that you had a group of people that were just as passionate about writing code as you are? I know I did. I did that for most of my career. I'd go to the meetups. I'd try and create other opportunities. And it was just really hard, right? The meetups, I got some of that, but they were only like once or twice a month. And it was just really hard to find that group of people that I connected with and, and really wanted to, you know, talk about code a lot, right? I mean, I love writing code. I think it's the best. And so I've decided to create this community and create it a, a worldwide community that we can all jump in and do it. So we're going to have two workshops every week. One of those or two of those every month are going to be Q&A calls, right, where you can get on, you can ask me or me and another expert questions. Uh, the rest of them are going to be focused on different aspects of career or programming or things like that, right? So it'll go anywhere from like deployments and containers all the way up to managing your 401k and negotiating your benefits package. Well, we'll cover all of it, okay? And then we're also going to have meetups every month for your particular technology area. So we have shows about JavaScript, React, Angular, Vue, and so on. We're going to have meetups for all of those things. I'm going to revive the freelancer show. We'll have one about that, right? So you can get started freelancing or continue freelancing if that's where you're at. And I'm working on finding authors who can actually do weekly video tutorials on something for 10 minutes that's related, to, again, to those technology areas so that you can stay current and keep growing. So if you're interested, go to topendevs.com slash sign up and you can get in right now for $39.
when we're done, that price is going to go up to $75. And the $39 price gets you access to two calls per week. The the full price at $150, which is going to be $75 over the next few weeks, that price is going to get you access to all of the calls and all of the tutorials and everything else that we put out from Top End Devs along with member pricing for our remote conferences that are coming up next year. So go check it out, topendevs.com slash sign up. So with that, we will move on to picks. Picks are part of the show where we get to talk about other things if we want to, or we could still talk about tech things, books or blog posts or you name it. Before I get to the high point of every episode, which are my dad jokes, I one pick that I did have, and I thought this was in- interesting discussion being had here recently in the past couple of days. I happened to see it when it came about 30 minutes after it came out because I happened to be looking on Twitter, but there's a new Webpack, I guess, replacement being touted and it's called TurboPack. So the pack's the same. It's just, uh, I guess, Turbo makes it faster. And Turbo Pack is touted as the Rust-based successor to Webpack. And they put out a blog post that basically said, making the claims that measured against Vite, it is 10 times faster than Vite. And it talks about uh, architecture and, and the fact that it's based on Rust and so on. And so... Of course, Evan Yu, the creator of Beat, got wind of this and did some testing on his own and created a, uh, a GitHub repo with a discussion where he goes into great detail about his tests and uh, how he tested and benchmarked things and and his opinions on the claim that TurboPack was 10 times faster than Beat. And his his conclusions were, yeah, maybe if you got up to 30,000 modules, but that's an extremely unlikely scenario for the vast majority of users. And when you're using RSC versus SWC, which I am not that low level enough to understand, to be honest, then no, it's really not a fair comparison. And TurboPack apparently got wind of this and made an updated blog post and clarified some things. So anyway, I will put a link in the show notes to the blog post and the GitHub repo, and you can read uh, the results for yourself. So with that, dad jokes of the day. Today's dad jokes is actually a comparison of deep thoughts. Uh, For any of you who remember Saturday Night Live and deep thoughts with Jack Handy, uh, this is sort of along those lines. So first of all, in limbo, setting the bar very low means you're actually setting the bar very high. If you think about it, okay, you know, putting the letters okay together is a stick figure lying on its back. And where are you is a question that has never been asked in sign language. Think about it because you can see the, anyway, I know the joke loses it when you have to explain it, but I thought that was worth it. And then, you know, I was thinking about uh, careers and hobbies and stuff. And I thought, you know, I really should think about becoming a tightrope walker because even the bank says my balance is outstanding. And then uh, finally, this is a sort of story that came from my daughter. She's working on her teaching degree. And she was in class one day taking attendance. And she comes across this name that's spelled H-I-J-K-M. And she's sort of confused. She says, I'm sorry, I'm not sure how to pronounce this name. And she spelled it out. And one of the girls in the class raised her hand and said, "Uh, that's me. And it's pronounced no L. Because there was no L in there. Anyway, I love that one. It's so good. So good. If I I know some girls, I know a girl named Noelle. I'm going to tell her she should try that sometime. Anyway, those are my picks. Lane, your turn. What do you have for us for picks? I'm hope I'm I'm hoping I'm not destined for those uh for those jokes. Now that I have a daughter uh, who's who's 20 months old, we'll see. 
Oh, dad jokes are a must. My daughter loves them. She shares them with me. In fact, I have a, a dad joke calendar on my desk that she gave me for Christmas. So uh, it's, it's good when they share with you. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, let's see. Yeah, picks. All right. First thing. Oh, I just need to plug the fact that Vite uses ES Build. Is it ES Build or Rollup? Crap. Now I'm now I'm going to say things that are they wrong. use. It uses Rollup for the bundling and ES Build for the HMR. That's what it is. And yes, build, I believe, is the one that's written in Go. That's why it's fast. So just got to plug plug my favorite programming language again. Yeah, I guess you could say it goes very fast, right? Yes, Go goes fast. <laughs> it's the name of one of the chapters on Boot Dev. Anyways, okay, plugging Boot Dev. That's de- I'm definitely going to do that for one of my picks. If you're interested in back-end development, so obviously you're interested in front-end development, which is fantastic, but if you're interested in more uh, g- getting more of a full stack rounding out your uh, experience, so to speak, with some, some full stacks and backend. Uh, we'd love to have you check out Boot Dev, Python, JavaScript, and Go. Uh, so that's going to be one plug. Uh, the other pick I'm going to make is Better Call Saul. My mm-hmm. wife and I just finished it. Weirdly enough, we haven't finished Breaking Bad. We got three seasons in and we, we thought it was okay. We got distracted by something, probably The Witcher, um, which we also liked. But Better Call Saul has been amazing. So if, if you have, I think it's Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever, uh, that's that's a really good one. Yeah, interestingly enough, my I myself have uh, never watched Breaking Bad. Um, there's probably a number of things that people would say, what, you've never watched this? You know, like The Sopranos or uh, some of these other well-known series. But my son, who's just 20, recently binged it. And so I'd jump in and, and sort of watch little pieces here and there and he'd explain to me what's going on. So I'm a little more up to speed on on what it was and how it works and stuff. So I'm familiar with Saul. You know, if yeah. I understood it correctly, the Better Call Saul is sort of before and during Breaking Bad. Is that right? Is that how it works from a timing standpoint? It's kind of a prequel. They've like at the very end it really starts to kind of tie into the events of Breaking Bad. But yeah, like the first couple seasons, you couldn't, you wouldn't even know that it really had anything to do with Breaking Bad. It's all just backstory on on Saul, the kind of the the sleazy lawyer, right? Or as <laughs> but yeah, as, as what's his name, Jesse in Breaking Bad says, you don't need a criminal attorney; you need a criminal attorney. <laughs> an attorney, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, it's so good. And you know, the thing that I love about it. I, You'll really like it if you love uh, shows that have just amazing character development. Like, not just Saul, but almost every character in that show just has an amazing, you know, development arc to who they are. And so th- that's what I really loved about it. Yeah, I've seen uh, Brian Cranston, uh, the guy that plays Walter White, interviewed a number of times on Dan Patrick show, which is a sports talk show that I listen to. And he's talked about that show. And it's sort of funny how the way he even got it was that. If you remember the show, The X-Files with David Duchovny and Jillian, I forget her last name. It was a big paranormal show back, what, 90s, early 2000s, I think. Anyway, he did a bit part on one episode. You know, he's a guest character, whatever it was. And one of the people that happened to work on this show was the creator, director of Breaking Bad. His name starts with the V. I forget his name, Vincent or something. Anyway, and... It was 10 years after the X-Files appearance that he started Breaking Bad. And he remembered Brian Cranston from that back and really liked that far back and, and really liked him and said, hey, do you want to do this show? with?" He said he read the script and he was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. And this is after <laughs> he had done Malcolm in the Middle. Yeah. With Frank but- Muniz. 
And it, I mean, the, the difference between those two characters is so huge. You know, you got this total yeah. goofball dad who's, you know, sort of a, you know, geek weirdo, however you want to portray him in, in Malcolm in the Middle going to Walter White. And you're like, whoa. That was actually part of the reason my wife didn't love Breaking Bad. And part of the reason we, we ended up giving up was she's like, I just can't. He's he's the Malcolm in the Middle dad. Like I just can't. <laughs> you get just over can't this. see him as a different role, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he'd hate to hear that. But. Yeah, the guy that yeah to me has always stood out. Who's been really good along those lines of Brian Cranston. Who's you've seen him in such incredibly different roles. To me, is John Lithgow, um, and he's not like a really crazy, well-known uh, actor. He used to be well-known, but there's three different things that I think of. One, there's a movie called Ricochet that has Denzel Washington as a cop and a, as a district attorney and Ice-T as a bad guy. And Lane's looking this up on IMDb right now. And he plays this crazy serial killer who gets put in jail and gets out of jail and hunts down Denzel Washington and that whole back and forth and just a crazy lunatic. Then you go to Third Rock from the Sun, which was the TV show that was on for years and completely different character. And then you think of even before that, first time I can recall seeing him, you know, he was the dad in Harry and Henderson, but go back to Footloose, where he's, you know, from 84, with Kevin Bacon, where he's the pastor, you know, and how the pastor is portrayed. That's a different story. But if you look at, at the different types of roles and how versatile he was in those different roles and how well he did them, that sort of reminds me of Brian Cranston between Malcolm in the Middle and uh, and Breaking Bad. You know, you get some actors, boy, totally going down the movie route today, aren't we? Uh, <laughs> you get some actors who are like, no matter what role they play, they're, you can tell it's them. You know, the ones that come to mind are like a Nick Cage or a Hugh Grant. Um, yep. No matter Tom what Cruise. character or movie they're in, they're always sort of the same. <laughs> it's not really different versus someone that can really, you know, stand out in very different roles. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I wasn't actually, I mean, I recognize John Lithgow now that I look him up, but uh, I can't think of many movies i've seen him in so maybe i'll have to go check him out oh uh, well you young whippersnappers you know haven't been around that long that's i guess that's confusing he's sort of an old schooler guy <laughs> from when i was growing up for sure yeah this list is long of stuff that he's in so yeah, yeah uh, for sure all right well that has been another good episode so we will put a wrap on this baby before we go how can people contact you or follow you or give you money if they want to give you money because they like you so much? Uh, how's all that happen? Yeah. So first and foremost, if you want to give me money, then <laughs> you should hopefully, uh, hopefully you can also get some value out of it uh, over on boot.dev. Uh, that's the name of the website, but also the domain name. So if you want to learn backend development, head over to boot.dev. Uh, and then you can always find me on most social platforms at Wags Lane. That's W-A-G-S-L-A-N-E, primarily on Twitter, but you can also follow me on LinkedIn, pretty active there. And then my my personal website where I post blog posts that uh, sometimes aren't about tech, you can find at wagslane.dev. Same handle, but .dev. So out of curiosity, last question, how did you come up with the name boot.dev? Is it just the languages that you use when you're booting up your computer? or We really like the name for several reasons. It uh, kind of conjures up several images, uh, in my mind at least. Uh, one being boot camps, which is kind of tongue-in-cheek because we're not really a traditional boot camp. We're more of an e-learning platform. But I digress on that. Uh, yeah, booting up computers was one that we thought was interesting. 
Oh man, there was there were a couple others that I can never remember. Do you remember Alan? Like bootstrapping. Oh yeah, it's a bootstrapped company. That was something that we thought was kind of funny. And then the dot dev obviously is the kind of the developer part of the part of the name. And it's well, just it's a great domain name. Four letters was oh yeah, cool. it's hard to find those anymore. But with all of the new t- uh, top level domains that are available, it's a little easier than it used to be when it was just dot com dot net. You know, <laughs> funny enough, when I when I think of the term boot, two things came to mind when I first saw it. One was that's the British term for a trunk of a car. You know, you ah. put things in the boot. But it was also a term that I used to use here when I was in college about vomiting after drinking too much. So, you know, <laughs> take that. <laughs> we have wild after parties. <laughs> All of our course releases. Yeah. Right. All right. Good deal. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. I hope we did not. I uh, hope we were able to actually entertain with the digressions down the movie routes today. But it's it's fun. We we don't hold ourselves tightly to too many guardrails here, other than as long as view being discussed at some point in the process. So with that, we will wrap it up and talk to you next time. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit c a c h e f l y dot com to learn more.